Happy New Year. Can you believe? Happy New Year. Goodbye, 2022. Hello. Honestly, good riddance. Truly. I mean, someone was telling me recently, like, oh, it was the guy that I was sitting next to on the plane who I realized actually knows my ex-boyfriend and, like, 40 of his closest friends and I was literally just playing gag of the season gag of the what season. it was so it was sweet though he actually like gate he volunteered to trade his first class seat with someone in the last row who needed to plug in their like electronic oxygen mask wow. I was like you're, you're nicer than I am I would never do that can you imagine <laughs> I've never seen somebody be that nice on a commercial flight ever. And he was like, yeah, no problem. And then in the end, the guy actually decided he didn't want to get up. So we just plugged in his oxygen mask to charge and then like gave it back to him and it was all good. And I can't believe that was always a solution. But he said to me that apparently certain things that happened in 2022, like this year has been so long that like you might have forgotten like certain things happened in 2022. Including, mm-hmm. remember the clogging of the Suez Canal where like that giant... Oh my God, yeah, where it was sideways. That was this year. Doesn't uh-huh. that feel like three years ago? Actually, yeah. But also, I mean, time time is already not linear, but I mean, it became especially so with the introduction of COVID-19. Like time went out the window, I oh, feel yeah. like. Do you feel like time started moving faster? Faster, or maybe we just like lost all sense of like how it moves in the first yes, place. Yes, that's actually the perfect description. Like I feel like before COVID, time was beginning to move faster as, as, as I was getting older. And now it just actually has no feeling at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, last week's episode came to all of you during, we recorded it during the holiday twilight zone. This like, between Christmas and New Year's, just where nothing happens, where you're still kind of guilting yourself, like, I should be doing something, but, like, nothing's happening. And that's what I kind of feel like happened with time because of COVID-19. It became, like, an extended holiday twilight zone. And speaking of the holiday twilight zone, I fully just, like, went full i was like i am living in this twilight zone i will be making no efforts to leave this twilight zone for the no as yeah you like should. capitalism wants you to just keep on working and this is the one time of year where you know what everyone is off and i was just like i'm gonna do absolutely nothing i watched like 50 movies in like seven days and nice just like vegged out and behaved like a child because i was in my mom's house and i just can't help but regress <laughs> in her presence i mean what else are you gonna do and you know what else she said she's a big fan of the pod hi mom and she goes to my older stepsister she goes does it sound like Allie like got a valley girl accent since she went to california and i was like i don't think so i mean to me you still sound you sound sort of i mean kind of like from anywhere everywhere but also like every every now and then long island kind of jumps out that was my best no that was great it's it's just funny to me that she really just first of all distinguishes between long island and valley girl but Uh basically i was like i just decided that my mom doesn't realize that i'm being ironic when i'm you know i feel like that's a big part of our whole generation sense of humor is we were born to put on a show a bit for each other and we know Mm -hmm. like those of us in the know you know what i mean like you know i'm doing a bit when i'm like no you know Mm, yeah yeah but people outside of it it's like on the outside of the inside joke for all they know we are just that's just what we talk like i mean yeah everybody else has no choice but to take us as sincere and there's jokes on you my stepdad he was like since doing your podcast have you realized how much you say like and i was like so nasty and so rude was such a and then when i said bye i was like stepdaddy thank you so much for all of the home-cooked meals and barbs. <laughs> I know what I'm coming home for, and I know what I'm going to get. And I really feel like that's just truly what it is. It's like, I don't take it personally, but he barbs me constantly. I mean, you know, number one lesson that we were taught in Economics 101 in high school is there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I feel like going home for the holidays, you know what, the trade-off for a free place to stay is the emotional trauma that just happens it's true it's on purpose or not it just happens it's it's so true and i i'm really proud of myself for like how thick my skin has gotten like things that used to like really like put me into like a bit of a tailspin i'm now just like that's just him (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and like being able to really just say that's just them mm-hmm. is one of the great gifts of getting older. If they ain't paying your bills, to quote RuPaul, pay them bitches no mind. I love that. It's true. It's true. He doesn't pay my bills. My mom, she's so paying my cell phone bill and I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, work. <laughs> so you're back in LA, hopped off the plane at LAX. With the team I got again. Hopped off the, yeah, hopped off the plane at LAX, dragged all my garbage to the laxit shuttle, which honestly is like a laxative shuttle because Oh, because you can't get Uber or Lyft yeah, at the no, airport you have anymore? Yeah, you like, shit yourself trying to, like, pull everything out of the fucking bag check onto the bus to go to the Uber and the Lyft and the ta- – and it's just whatever. It wasn't as bad as it's been in the past. It's too it's much. It's a lot, though. Yeah, I, I was like, I'll do anything for someone to just pick me up. And it's kind of like a thing you can't ask of people in L.A. You can ask Emily. It's true. We do have one friend who just – She I, loves for to For whatever drive. reason, adores driving so much much she almost i think would like look for a reason to take people places who weren't even gonna go to those places anyway just like she's doling out rides like oh totally you get a ride you get and a ride bless her. i was like do you want to pick me up from the airport and she was like oh, i'm not gonna be um whatever she wasn't gonna be there and then so i had to bust myself but it was all right it was all right it's a big episode today. You know what we're doing? What? We're finishing part two of the three body problem. I can't believe it. And how many parts are there? Three. Guys, that's appropriate, first of all, considering it's a three body problem. Mm-hmm. I just want y'all to know, those of you who are reading from a Kindle or not reading at all, we are on pages 270 out of like 400. And if you like, we're getting close. If you can like hold the book and see it like physically, it's just so satisfying. Like we do not have a lot of this book left, but also we have a lot of this book left, like in terms of what's about to go down. Oh yeah. A lot is about to happen in these final 100 and. 30 pages i mean you know in in movies and musicals whatever the medium act one is always the longest right but arguably act two is always the biggest and that's what's coming right it's always confusing to me because different people break up story into different numbers of acts like shakespeare Mm -hmm. he's always like a five I don't know. It depends. It really does depend. I was like, go <laughs> was, on. This was actually in the New York Times crossword this week. And that's why I was thinking about it. Whenever I go home, a big a big thing that I do with my family is like compete in speed racing to do the New York Times crossword puzzle. But really, it's just nice. me and my mom versus my stepdad because he does it in like five minutes. And we like to kind of, you know, joke around. <laughs> But we always finish it. He's like a speed demon, though. He's like, we're here to do this, and There's I'm going to There's no win. joy in it. Me and Got my mom it. are pissing our pants because she thinks that the opener to Easter is egg. <laughs> Got it. It's not. It was nor. Nor Easter. Anyways, mm-hmm. it's a it's a riot. I also, before we dive into the chapter, 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 chapter. wanted to tell you, I was reading this article in the Scientific American because you know. Okay, great publication off the bat. And it was like six times quantum physics blew our minds in 2022. Okay, we love a listicle. We love a listicle. We love a year, an end of year wrap up. So I start diving deeper on one of the, you know, things that blew our minds in 2022. Basically, it was this one game that basically the details All right, it's not even a game. It was like this experiment using a game that demonstrates what's called quantum pseudo telepathy, which I feel like we sort of had the other week. Especially last week. Yes. I mean, we were 3000 miles away. We started recording separately remotely and not once did I have to sync our audio like what are the chances should we start playing the lottery because what are the chances that that far apart without trying to we hit record at the exact same time (sighs) i'm not surprised statisticians if you're out there let us know because i'm dying to know well and like this game it it was it's sort of like sudoku it's like the way it works and it's not even important to this story that i'm telling but since i know it i'll share it it's like there's two people and each of them have a three by three grid and there's this like middle party you know like a neutral party who like separately goes to each individual like they're in separate rooms right and is like you know player number one please give me three numbers for the second row and the numbers can only be one or negative 
negative one. Okay. And then they'll go to the other person and be like, player two, give me three numbers for the first column. And then they'll be like, one, one, negative one or whatever. And if where those intersect, if the numbers are the same, that's considered a winning condition. And basically it's impossible to get nine out of nine winning conditions. Whoa. Unless they use qubits to if they involve like qubits in the deciding of the number like if when they're entering the number there's some type of digital interface qubits like being like units of quantum data qubits and that they're able basically the quantum entanglement of the data at that moment demonstrates quantum pseudo telepathy so like they were getting like nine out of nine and it just demonstrated this like pseudo telepathy as a result of the entanglement of the qubits scientific study of the hive mind and as i'm reading this i'm i'm looking at the i'm going deeper and deeper into trying to understand this i don't think i even did a good job explaining it just now but i'm looking at like the formulas and like i just start thinking like what the fuck am i doing like i don't know anything i'm so like i was like i don't know shit I was like, I'm a dummy. And sometimes I ask myself, who is this podcast for? You know, I'm, I'm too dumb for scientists and I'm too smart for numpties. I'm, <laughs> I'm for the autodidacts and the technocrats, the folks at home who read the Scientific American, but also watch and read the Bravo Real Housewives subreddit. You know, the C students and the B students who pay attention in class, but also smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> I just had this crisis of like, who is my audience? You were in a crisis era. I was in a crisis era. And then ultimately I was like, it's not up to me to understand who my audience is, but simply to just speak into the void and hope someone relates. The message will be found. That's how we operate. Yes, the message will be found. Exactly. It's And it's very, that's very body so whoever you are now officially in taiwan thank by the you, way taiwan shout out to taiwan shout out to jordy and puerto, puerto rico. rico yeah no jordy our new patreon subscriber yeah yeah, yeah. i was saying and oh, puerto rico for listening not in i have no idea where <laughs> jordy, jordy wherever you are we owe you stickers anyway <laughs> well brett without any further ado are we ready for our first chapter of 2023 we are logging back on this is chapter 19 and we're also going to cover chapter 20 because it's super short yeah it's very quick and chapter 19 is called three body einstein the pendulum monument and the great rip start two one Listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett. And on today's episode, we're finishing part two of the three-body problem. Wang is back in the game. The Trisolarans have a new plan for survival, and the rulebook has been thrown out because everything, and I mean everything, has changed. Stay tuned. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference monitor unit reporting with an acceptable range. Begin transmission. Wang logs on his computer. It's the fifth time he's logged on to play Three Body. Feels like he's been playing a lot more than five times. Like, I feel like he's seen a lot in this game. But uh, it's only the fifth time. And this time, when he logs on, the pyramid that we have seen throughout all of the past civilizations, right? It's gone. Apparently destroyed during the Syzygy. Actually, not apparently. You guys remember. It was destroyed during the Syzygy. Remember? Everyone floated up and like the pyramids broke into a bunch of pieces and smashed. Poor. That imagery from the cover. It was just sheer and total destruction. That's right. So pyramid's gone. And in its place, there's a tall modern building. And Wayne kind of recognizes it. And it looks like the United Nations headquarters. Which I was like. Like in New York? Or in Switzerland? Hmm. In Geneva? 
I feel like that's the, the official headquarters, right? The one in New York is so pretty. The one in New York I think of is just like a bunch of hotels, but that's because I don't really know. I don't think I've seen it. The one in New York almost kind of reminds me of like a, uh, what's it called? Like a half pipe for skateboarding. Mm, that's very, it's brutal. Would you say? Mm-hmm. And curved. Weird. Actually, I have. Speaking of curves, hang on a second. I have something to show you. Oh my you. God. Is it another banana? And it's ASMR. Look at what I got for Christmas. Another banana. Another banana. We have two show bananas. The one in Geneva is really beautiful. It's got like all the flags. I think that is the official UN building, but I don't know. Maybe there's one in China that he's referring to. Anyway, and around this UN building, there are more dehydratories and they're all very reflective like mirror-like, which should make you think of what Wang learned at the meetup in the last chapter, which was Mm -hmm. that, right, all of, like, what we kind of know about them is that they have really reflective bodies and, like, have this way of, like, communicating with light. So I was just like, okay, there's, like, parallels. Feels very, like, technologically advanced. And and, and it's just speaking to, like, what he learned about, like, the real trisolarian civilization that allegedly exists according to Pan Han. Mm -hmm. Anyway, pretty quickly, Wang realizes there's a a man playing Mozart on violin just sitting on the stairs of the United Nations and I'm like this is so poetic what a scene can't wait to see that in the in the show and it does kind of feel like New York there would be somebody busking, totally there right? is a busker playing Mozart playing I don't know name a single Mozart song <laughs> Beethoven's third <laughs> I told you I'm not smart spring by Vivaldi <laughs> Nocturne by Chopin. (laughs) Yes. So he's playing one of those Mozart classics and on the violin. And he's not very good at it. He's kind of like me in the sixth grade, you know, not even really giving it my best. Like, not, not, Got even, it. Okay. not even practicing. <laughs> I wouldn't even bring my violin home on the bus because I was too embarrassed to have a violin. To be playing the violin? Yeah, it's no. sad. Popularity and the need for, uh, like, validation drove a lot of my decisions in my adolescence sadly i know and so i never got good at violin because i wouldn't even that's so different from the you that i know now i'm just thinking of myself playing ode to joy like so badly like that's the classic violin song okay so bad joshua bell is playing the violin yes screeching over here on the strings and he's got this fluffy white hair that's like blowing in the wind a little like bowler hat filled with some like scattered coins okay you get it and wing suddenly sees a sun begin to rise in the horizon and he's nervous because already he can see it's very very large and i like how we're just kind of starting off this chapter like oh shit big sun yeah that's we know what that means it means bad (laughs) and uh it's really big and wing is worried and the more it rises however the more wing is like wait what? Because the world isn't really like getting brighter or even hotter. The sun okay. is like cool and like silvery, like the old man's hair. And it rises completely. And now he's like staring at this massive sun that's like about the, a third of the size of the horizon. And he can see all these like, all this topography, like mountain ranges on the sun. Okay. And then he realizes, oh, this is not a sun. This actually is not emitting any light at all. This is actually just reflecting the light of the sun. In fact, this is a giant moon. Oh, and the sun okay, has okay, not okay. risen at all. And this is actually reminding me, I did you I watched that movie, um, Good Night Oppie. Poor Oppie. Did you did you look it up? Did you watch it? I haven't watched it, but yes, I'm I'm familiar. I have not cried more in the last five years. Oppie died a few years ago. Oh wait, was Oppie the one who died in the dust storm? Yes, yes. On Okay, got it. Got on it, got Mars. It, it. Yes. And Oppie had like a twin sister named Spirit. Got it. And Spirit yes. and Oppie, Spirit and Opportunity, they like Oh, I literally have chills just thinking about it. And it just comes back to my empathy for robots. I tweeted this the other week. I was like, am I crazy for empathizing with robots or are you callous for being a human supremacist? I think that. I mean, we kind of touched on it last week. We're going to have to very soon start having actual discussions about like what does personhood entail? If something can operate autonomously and make in the moment spur of the moment choices on its own and even go so far as to advocate for itself we have to actually consider if that deserves 
person. Totally. I asked my mom. I was telling my mom about it, and she was like, "No." <laughs> She's like, it's not a person, Allie. She was actually like Alex. And she was like, come on. And I was like, well, what makes a person a person? You know? And she was like, mm-hmm. empathy. I was like, come on. We know lots of people who don't have empathy. Like, you know? Right. A- anyways, it really, it just, this reminded me of it. Yep. Go watch Goodnight Oppie if you want to cry so much. And also just like the capacity for love that is demonstrated by people's ability to attach to robots that's also mm-hmm. what makes me cry and i told you i think on a previous episode like whenever people work together to like do something big and yep. like accomplish something like you know that scene in jimmy neutron in the jimmy neutron movie where it's like we're the kids in america whoa and they're blasting off into space you see that. everyone at nasa like just like they can't believe it that like oppie and spirit both make a safe landing to Mars. Like the amount of variables you can't, you cannot send anything to Mars unless it is literally like passing the earth and like perfectly aligned. And then yeah. like, oh, oh my God, it's just the blood, sweat and tears. And like the amount of known variables and the amount of unknown, unknowable variables. It's like the, truly it's such a And feat. every morning, basically a, a day on Mars is called a soul and it's a little bit longer mm-hmm. than a, like a earth day or shorter. I can't remember. But every morning on Mars, NASA would play a wake up song for the robots and it would for the rovers and it would change every time. And they were always like so thematic like if if the robot was like going through like a rough patch and the final song is like the most it's like a, i think it's a billy holiday song and it's I've been seeing you. and i literally couldn't handle it i'm crying even like on its birthday like it playing happy birthday to itself alone on this planet you guys And the thing is, spirit and opportunity were only supposed to be on Mars for 90 days. It was a 90-day project. Yeah, they outlasted all expectations. They lasted, well, one of them. They're like, we got it. We'll keep going. It was on there for 15 fucking years. Just like working so hard. Oh my God, it's sick. Okay, sorry. We're off track. That was a nice detour. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming with me. So rising in the horizon, it's not Mars. It is a giant moon. And this moon is also like gradually, but also pretty quickly, you know, for our standards, moving from crescent to half to full to crescent to half to full. Yeah, like visible moon phase changes. And eventually it fades into the horizon once again and falls down into the dawn light and they can't see it anymore and it's a beautiful sight and the old man speaks up the one that's sitting on the stairs playing mozart the old man tells the honored copernicus he's like come have a rest appreciate the mozart and maybe if you spare some change you spare some change wing looks at this guy closely and he looks at his wrinkles Uh and the passage talks about you know how the wrinkles are moving almost as if to make some sort of harmony in the man's face and i'm like oh my god what a visual like i really know Mm -hmm. it's such a fractal thing you know like when you see like the amazing like patterns on mountain ranges and like in the lines of the sand i'm just like yes like the face the face does what nature does if you let it like grain and like wood exactly like please don't let me get botox because i'm really thinking about (laughs) anyway preventative botox is the thing though i will so maybe i shall do it before you need it and then you won't look like you need it (laughs) I know, but wrinkles are nice too. So Wang is like, am I mistaken? But are you? And the guy's like, no, you're not mistaken. It is. It's Das Einstein. (gasps) Okay, cool. And Einstein, I'm not even going to attempt a German accent anymore. Einstein's like, I'm a pitiful man, full of faith in God, but abandoned by him. Yeah. Like. Einstein is really having a blue era right now. Blue period. Okay. He's very depressed. And Wing is like, what's with the giant moon? I've never seen that before. And yeah. Einstein's like, oh, that's already cooled off. And Wing's like, what? And Einstein's like, the big moon. When I was young, it was hot. And it rose to the middle of the sky. And I could see this big red glow from the central plains. But now it's cold. You know about the Great Rift, right? And Wang is like, no, what? what is that? Einstein's like, never no. mind, forget it. The past is too painful. And Wang's like, what happened? And he gives Einstein, he throws some change into Einstein's hat. And Einstein thanks him and he says, let's hope that God doesn't abandon you too. But chance 
Cesar, he already has. Dark. Yeah. He's, you know, starts talking about the model that, you know, Wang and Newton had developed and that others created in the East and how impressive it was with the human formation computer and how close it was to being correct, but how just, you know, one error left an uncrossable chasm. And, you know, he's talking about no one understood general relativity and like curve of the space time continuum, blah, blah, blah. He's like, these are the pieces that Newton lacked. And Einstein's just like really in his like, woe is me monologue. You know, he's like, Princeton dismissed me and UNESCO wouldn't even have me as a fucking consultant. Just big pity party. And he goes back to his violin. By the way, have you seen the Banshees of Inishirin? The Banshees of Inishirin. I'm big on it's, it's a, a movie. movie. It's on HBO Max. It's starring Colin Farrell. Okay. I really liked it. And there's a big violin component in it. I loved it. I highly recommend it. That's just another movie wreck for you. I'll watch that tonight. Okay, do it. Let me know what you think. Adding it to I the I just list. love their accents too. Yeah, feckin', feckin' banshee. I like an Irish accent. I like a Colin Farrell. Oh, yeah. So. He's great. He's so good. All right. Well, Einstein goes back to playing his violin. And Wing begins to march up the UN building to go inside. And Einstein is like, "Okay, there's no one in there. Don't waste your time. Everyone is behind the building attending a pendulum initiation ceremony. Okay. And so Wang walks around the UN building to the back where he sees a massive pendulum. And this Okay. So the scenery is different, but we've seen like a pendulum. Totally. Before. This one's a little updated or very updated. It's like, you know, the towers are like made of this like sleek metal and the cable that this pendulum is swinging on is so thin, you can't even see it, you know? And it reminds me of wings. Sounds like a nanomaterial. Nanomaterial. Weird, right? So, like, this pendulum looks like it's floating through the air as it, like, slices Whoa. between these two metal towers. And the General Assembly that is, like, witnessing this, quote-unquote, pendulum initiation ceremony turns and sees Wang and is like, ah, Copernicus, the man who crossed five eras. Come, come, join us. Well, look at this beautiful sight. And a friendly man comes up to Wang and he shakes his hand. It's the secretary general of the UN from Africa. Boutros, Boutros, Gali. <laughs> Good guess, perhaps. Kofi Annan. I don't know. Sure, imagine so. So the Secretary General is like, this here is a monument for Trisolaris and also a tombstone. Okay. Spooky, right? And Wang, yeah. Like, what? For who? And Wang asks exactly that. And the Secretary General is like, it's a tombstone for the hope and for the mission that lasted almost 200 civilizations. Here lies the aspiration to solve the three-body problem and to find a pattern in the sun's movements. Wang is like, what? Is the effort over? Like, that's it? And they're like, yeah. And Wing's like, wait, but I brought I, I brought a mathematical model that, you know, solves, the, I, I really might solve the three-body problem. I have reason to believe it will work. This one, you know, yeah. it accounts for the stuff that Einstein was talking about and yada, yada, yada. And uh, as soon as Wang starts saying this, the crowd is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They shake their heads and some of them chuckle and they sort of just walk away. And just no one is interested in hearing this again. It's a joke. They're just done. They're done. And... Copernicus or Wang is showing it to the secretary general and the secretary general is like you know normally I wouldn't entertain such a thing but you're such a respected figure in this community I'll show it to my science advisor okay. he shows it to his science advisor he's really just humoring Wang right. and the science advisor flips through it and the science advisor says Copernicus you are no doubt a genius. This is an evolutionary algorithm. And anyone who can come up with such a thing is a genius. It requires great mathematical skill and also imagination. I sense a butt coming. But Wang is like, are you implying something? And he's like, well, yes, there are dozens of other mathematical models that have been developed just like yours. In fact, half of them are more advanced. They've all been run numerous times on digital computers. 
And over the last two centuries, massive computations were the principal activity of this world. And everyone awaited results like it was judgment day. And, Wang says, and we have proven that the three-body problem definitely has no solution. Wang gazes up at the pendulum overhead. He thinks about all the civilizations between his first time playing and now. And he thinks of all those pendulums in the beginning, the forest of pendulums, right? That used to lull the the god into like a peaceful slumber and just how much history has passed and what a long circuit it has been to just to return to a starting place. Yeah, wow. It feels very like ominous of also like our time you know i was gonna say if that's not a human metaphor and this is also reminding me of you know a big reason why they went and looked at mars and sent oppie and spirit to mars was to figure out like okay was mars once a place that sustained life right you know and the only way we can figure that out is if we have like geological probing like evidence yes so they like you know we're sending them down into like these huge craters that are i don't know millions of years old and looking at like the layers of martian regal Yes. Good word. Regolith. To see like, okay, was Mars a place that had water? Yeah. And anyways, and then, so it just makes me feel like, okay, is Earth just an early version of Mars? You know what I mean? Like, are we just future Mars? Not, no. Or just to end where we started, which is like a chaotic place of uninhabitable, Mm -hmm. dry. Like gradually returning into entropy. Well said. So the science advisor is like, it's just as we guessed years ago. The three body system is chaotic. Tiny disturbances can be endlessly consequential and they are unpredictable. Its patterns of movement essentially cannot be mathematically predicted at all. Mm. And Wang feels all of his scientific knowledge just become a blur in a single moment. And he's like, if even a simple three-body system is unpredictable chaos, how can we have faith in discovering the laws of this complicated universe? Yeah. Einstein suddenly shows up and he's like, God is a shameless gambler who has abandoned us. And the secretary general nods. He's like, yep, God is a gambler. The only hope for the Trisolarian civilization is to gamble too. It's like, what does this fucking mean, you guys? Oh my God. Gamble with what? Yeah. And the moon begins to rise up again. And Wang looks around and he says, the civilization seems to have developed a lot since I last signed on. And Einstein is like, yeah. I mean, we've mastered the energy of the atom and reached the information age. Damn, that's the furthest they've gotten so far. And guess what? No one cares. They're just like... Yeah, what's the point? Damn. Wang is like, well, no, there's hope. I mean, we're in the information age. I mean, we could develop into a stage where, you know, we can learn to survive chaotic eras through technology, at least, you know? And Einstein's like, people once thought as you that there was a motivating force of Trisolaris. But the moon made us realize the futility of such an idea. Damn. I- I'm like, wh- how did the moon make you, right? Like, these are my questions. Yeah. The science advisor is like, you know, actually, Actually, it's about a quarter of the size of our planet, and it's not even a moon any longer. But that is a big yeah, moon. and it's not a moon. It's I mean I don't know what the definition of a moon is, but they're basically like it ain't a moon. It's actually a companion to our world. Oh shit! In a double planet system that resulted from the Great Rip. Okay. To which I ask the same question that Wing has been asking for the last three pages: What the hell is the Great Rip? Okay, so the Great Rip, I'm already thinking like it sounds painful. Like I don't I don't want to see that. But I mean, obviously at this point, Wang has heard this being tossed around. He's like, "Okay, enough. Somebody like the Great Rip? Does anybody want to explain to me what you're all talking about that's like this big bad that everybody knows? It's like Voldemort. Everybody like knows about it, but they don't want to talk about it." And the Secretary General of the UN is like, "Okay, let me let me fill you in since you've you've missed quite a lot since you've been gone. The Great Rip is the name that we've given to the disaster that just 
annihilated the last civilization. So for some context, when the Trisolarians compare the Great Rip to all of the other disasters that civilizations before them had faced, it basically showed up with zero warning signs. Like there wasn't like three massive stars in the sky, one massive star that was really close. It just like showed up, did its thing and disaster befell everybody. Civilization 191, which is the civilization which came right before this current one that Wang has logged into, they detected the presence of a frozen flying star in the sky. Okay, is that even possible? And we haven't, yeah, like we haven't seen that yet. And so hearing this, Wang's heart kind of like seizes, like there's a fist kind of like closing really tightly around it because he knows that a frozen flying star obviously means death for Trisolaris. But based on what Wang knows about orbital mechanics in the world of three-body, he knows that when there's a flying star that seems to come to a complete stop in the sky, that means that basically the orbital motion vector of that star and the motion vector of the planet have synced up so that one of three things is happening. Okay. And so Wang knows that either A, the sun and the planet are moving at the same speed in the same direction, so it looks like the sun has stopped. B, the sun and the planet are moving away from each other in like a retrograde mm-hmm. pattern. Or C, the sun and the planet are moving towards each other. Oh, shit. And before the disaster that struck Civilization 191, that last situation of the planet and the sun moving towards each other had been just like purely hypothetical. It was something that had obviously never happened before, but the scientists were aware of that being a possibility. And just because it was a possibility, the fear that it struck in the hearts of the Trisolarans was like one of the greatest motivating factors. It's like these people woke up in the morning having this fear of the planet and the sun moving towards each other because they knew that at any point, And they were like, we need to figure this out. Yeah. So basically they stayed vigilant and it just sort of like got baked into their collective consciousness to the point where the term frozen flying star became as unlucky to them as our sort of cultural connotation with like the number 13 or like crossing a black cat on a street. Like it was really like superstitious. It was really in there as like a superstitious, like this is the worst thing that could happen to us. But the population didn't even really know why. It was only like the science who truly understood the gravity of what frozen flying star really meant for the civilization. So the Secretary General of the UN says to Wang, he's like, these people looked up and they saw three flying stars in the sky frozen entirely. And the people of Civilization 191 stood outside staring up helplessly at the cosmos, terrified already by the concept of frozen flying star. And they were seeing not one, not two, but three of those stars in a gravitational free fall tumbling towards their home planet just getting bigger and it just happened and they're like oh my fuck it's over basically that's insane that's like watching like a meteor literally it reminded me of that movie moonfall oh i was gonna say it reminds me yes also of the movie um melancholia very melancholia so a few days goes by after civilization 191 sees these three suns just free fall towards their planet and one of the three stars got so close to Trisolaris that the outer gas layer became visible to the naked eye and in the middle of the night the star turned into this blazing sphere of nuclear energy so like not good right broken up in intervals of about 30 hours the other two stars showed up in the sky as well almost like neither of them wanted to be late for the party that the first one showed up to they're like wait what are we missing in their cosmic best just dressed to destroy i'm late i'm late for a very important date the trisolarans know at this point that they're facing a trisolar day which we've seen already at this point but this one just by the sheer fact that these stars are moving towards the planet it's a trisolar day like no other that has ever occurred and by the time that the third star transformed itself into a sun just like flaming nuclear energy, the first star had already taken its first disastrously close sweep by the planet, wreaking havoc in its wake. Oh, God. Wait, I'm freaking out. (laughs) It's, It's a lot. And so following the first star, its other two siblings made the exact same orbital pass by the planet at even closer distances than the first. Okay. And the narrator says here that it was well within the planet's Roche limits. Okay. Do you know about Roche limits? No. 
But let me guess. Okay. My guess is that the Roche limit is, and I genuinely don't know what this is. Like, I didn't finish reading the chapter. I, I, I let Brett read the rest of this chapter. Okay, my guess is that the Roche limit is, like, the minimal distance from a celestial body you can be without being affected by its gravity? Like 98% correct. Okay, tell me. This was a pretty interesting footnote that the translator included in this chapter, and it's worth diving into just a little bit. The Roche limit is named after a French astronomer named Edouard Roche. La Roche-Posay. He didn't just solve skin care. <laughs> Roche was the first astronomer to calculate the theoretical distance between cosmological bodies where the smaller of the two bodies would be torn apart by the tidal forces being exerted between them. Whoa. So tidal forces, if you know, but if you listening don't know, tidal forces for a home example, they're the forces of motion that keep the moon facing in the same direction towards the earth at all times. It's the reason why we never see what's called the dark side of the moon, because the moon is tidally locked to the earth, always moving in the same direction. Whoa. So the Roche limit is the point at which the smaller of two bodies would be affected and torn torn apart by the effects of the other planet coming close to it. I say planet, I mean planet, star, cosmological body. For this example, for the Roche limit, because of this planet, let's just think of the four bodies, right? The home planet of Trisolaris yeah. and the three other suns that are in free fall towards right, so the we planet. Have four bodies. Yeah. So these three stars have crossed the Roche limit to the point where now, because we already know it's trisolar mm. day, we already know it's destruction that's coming. But because these three stars have seemingly simultaneously crossed the Roche limit, this planet is about to experience something it has never experienced before. Before, in the actual worst I'm of ways. I'm having full galaxy brain right now. I'm just like realizing that like, I was suddenly like, wait, what moves stars? And it's like gravity. Like, <laughs> they're gravity. like, what is an orbit? You know what I mean? It's like, it's all the interplay of their own gravity that is propelling mm -hmm. them toward this, you know, other body. And it's just fucking wild. Okay. So what's happening right now, these three stars are coming so close to Trisolaris that literally at any moment, the Trisolaran home planet is at risk of being immediately destroyed by being ripped to pieces. Not even burned up anymore. No, literally torn apart. The first of the three suns rang the planet like a bell. So just imagine that. Imagine an earthquake that hits so deep to the core of a planet that the planet literally like ding, no. like rings. It shook Trisolaris to its foundations <gasps> of its core. The second sun ripped a gash in the planet that tore straight to the planet's core. <gasps> And the third? Well, the third sun ripped Trisolaris to pieces. No! And that was the end of Civilization 191. So at this point, the Secretary General pointed up at the sky and Wang saw the giant moon floating overhead. Secretary General says, that's the smaller piece. There's still ruins of Civilization 191 up there, but it's lifeless. Oh my god. In the god. history of Trisolaris, in their history entire history, this disaster was single-handedly the worst to ever befall any of the beings living there. Oh my god. Oh my god. So basically, this is like the equivalent of the Earth ripping into three pieces and one of those pieces obviously like floating away a little bit into space You've got like the super hot core of the earth, which is why I guess it was super like red and glowing for, you know, Einstein's yep. childhood, but eventually cools down and now it is literally, yep. it's literally just a floating graveyard. Yep. Because if you think about the earth, for example, it's a little bit different, but I mean, the best sort of like working guess as to where earth's moon came from is that in the early infancy of planet earth, a protoplanet slammed into the earth and actually sent out enough of its mass that coalesced together that formed what we call the moon but at some point all of that mass that is the moon was originally part of planet right. earth but now it's a mix of this protoplanet and original earth material that now has coalesced and now we call it the moon so it's a little different you know the method by which we got our moon but similarly that's how trisolaris received its moon wow <laughs>
Okay, that's wild. In the aftermath of Trisolaris just being Thanos and snapped out of existence by these three stars, the two largest pieces naturally became spherical again. Because in space, like things that have enough mass generally naturally return to a spherical Right, you kind of see it. I mean, like even when you just look up at like galaxy shapes, like that centrifugal yes. sort of motion that like would mm-hmm. turn a ball of clay into a sphere spinning towards you know the center yields generally a sphere if there's enough mass that can have Mm -hmm. that happen but this is an acute process the planetary pieces after this disaster on trisolaris they smashed together and the collision released an exorbitant amount of energy liquefying all of the solids into molten rock oh god and the dense material of the planet's core volcanically gushed to the surface Okay. So it's literally like a planet being destroyed, but also like a new one being fully born. It's undergoing geological processes that have never happened before on this planet, just because naturally the planet has broken up and there's more activity happening here. Whereas before it was in a place of stasis. With unpredictable sun. Now all of this molten rock is just boiling to the top. like. This is reminding me in my period of absolute vacation and, you know, movie binging. I also watched Fire of Love finally. And okay, Fire of Love, it's on, it's now on Disney Plus. It's, it was in theaters. It's a document. Oh, it's the volcanologist movie. Did you see it? No, not yet. Oh, you got to watch it. I mean, it's just there's so I won't tell you like what happens, but like it is all their footage from like the 80s. And like they are up close and personal with hundreds and hundreds of volcanoes. And just like watching lava do what lava does and watching volcanoes fucking volcano and under. It's amazing, but it's molten rock is out of this world but it's not it is of this world it is this world it is the craziest substance mm-hmm. on earth yeah the narrator says at this point the oceans boiled over the lava seeping out of the core oh fuck continents shift and move over the lakes of fire like there were ice floating in a glass like no resistance just everything breaking apart and moving around. Mountains that dwarfed the Himalayas rose from nothing in less than an hour and just as quickly had disappeared and fallen. So like high 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 geologic activity. God. The Secretary General continues telling Wang that for a little while before everything coalesced together the two new planetoids were connected by a stream of lava that spanned the spatial distance between them. That is a gag. I was just imagining that. Like imagine Imagine our moon had a twin and between them are rivers of lava flowing in in the freedom of space. It's one of the most beautiful, terrifying sights one could ever see. And it's just utter. It's also just reminding me like what we've been saying from the beginning, what's been said in this book from the beginning, which is like we are so lucky to be living. I mean, not only are we so lucky to be living, the only reason we are living is because we are lucky. You know what I mean? It's like what came first. But like. Yeah, to be, we are a part of such a small shred of time because mm-hmm. cataclysm can just happen for so long and At not give rise to life. Any moment. And yep. and we just the fact that we are able to like live and like procreate on like a stable planet, relatively speaking. Oh my God. Yeah. What are the odds? What uh-huh. are the fucking odds? Go on. As the lava cooled around the planet, it formed rings like our Saturn. But the problem with these newly formed rings is that they were unstable so that after a little while the rocks that had once been molten that were circling the planet as they cooled after a little while the inherent gravity that was left of the planet that hadn't gotten destroyed caused all of these newly solidified rocks to fall back to the surface under the gravity raining boulders This boulder storm lasted for several centuries. No! Creating a hellscape so hostile to life that it was unimaginable. Oh my God. So now you know why it was the worst disaster in all of Trisolaran history. I mean, like, it wasn't bad enough the planet got literally stripped down to its parts and sold for scrap. But then after that, boulders from the sky. I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's just absolutely insane it's nuts secretary general says to wang that all of the life on the companion planet went extinct because like of course it's that small and thrown out into space there's no atmosphere left there like they probably froze to death for fuck's sake and that life on the mother planet nearly went extinct too but then i thought about like what's the one thing we learned from jurassic park life finds a way 
So eventually, the mother planet's tectonic activity mellowed and slowed down to like, you know, a rate that was normal and that could sustain life to happen there. New oceans formed, new continents developed. And for the 192nd time, civilization began again on Trisolaris. Welcome back. So this whole process, how long do you think it took from doomed trisolar day to emergence of life of civilization 192? Um, 200,000 years. 90 million no years. No fucking way. And the Secretary General says to Wang, the trisolaran place in the universe is even more terrifying than we could have imagined. If this kind of trisolar day happens again, I bet our planet is going to get pulled directly into the sun's fire. And while I don't know how likely it is for the next time, with enough time, it's a certainty. Oh my god, I'm like... I have chills and like I'm choked up a bit just like thinking about what trauma the Trisolarans have experienced. Visceral in their DNA trauma. And the Secretary General says, you know, like based on our most terrifying theory now being proven possible, since we know it's what happened to Civilization 191, our future is now all but doomed. Sorry, I finally understand like why they're so, they've given up. I mean, if I experienced that after trying and trying and trying and then finally just my planet gets ripped to shreds. Yeah. Like what do you do at that point? Of course, nihilism takes over and you're like, yeah, there actually is no hope left. Secretary General says our astronomers were hoping that through their studies that they'd be able to reverse engineer the formation of these suns. But while they were studying, they actually discovered that the Trisolaran system actually was home to 12 planets not just one. Now this planet is the only that remains in the system. Damn. And he says, to mind, the only possibility about what happened to the other 11 planets is that over time, the suns consumed them all also, one by one, just like picking them off as time Whoa. passed. Secretary General says that Trisolaris is the sole survivor of the great hunt. Okay, chill. Like they are just prey in a sea of predators basically. Secretary General says that really the fact that civilization has popped up 192 times independently is just pure luck. And as the astronomers continued their studies, they found that the stars, very much like you and me, breathe. <gasps> And at this point, Wang thinks he's heard it all, right? But he's like, they breathe? Like, what do you mean by that? Walk me through that. And Secretary General is just like, nah, I'm just kidding. What really happens, though, <laughs> is that over time, their gassy atmospheres expand and contract over a period of millions of years. So we call it breathing because they literally are able to observe it growing and shrinking and growing and shrinking. Secretary General says when a star here expands its outermost layer, it can grow in a thickness by more than a dozen times. So ultimately, depending on where the star is in relation to the original 12 planets, it's basically a crapshoot about whether or not the planet would survive that star's breath. Secretary General says what happened to the missing 11 planets on their respective cursed trisolar days is that, and this is him talking to Wang here, still like mm -hmm. filling him in on everything, is that the planet came close to the star so that the friction between the two of them slowed the planet down and eventually caused it to be pulled into the nuclear ocean that forms the star. To the surviving planets, they would have been able to see this. And so to anybody on any of the other planets, oh, it would have appeared like there was a comet with a blazing tail heading straight towards the sun. Oh my god. And everybody on the surviving planets just watched in horror because they all knew what was happening. Terrifying. Secretary General is like, based on our studies, every time the sun breathes, it ate on average one or two planets. Over time, 12 planets became 11 and then 10 and then eight and then six. I mean, you get the idea to the point where now only this planet survives. And the only reason that we survive is because the sun's atmospheres are contracted. Otherwise, if they had been expanded and in the middle of a breath, we would have surely been pulled in by now just because of how close we are. But the Secretary General says, but lucky as we are, our astronomers predict the next breath that will destroy this planet will happen in 1,000 years. Start oh, the clock. Fuck. 
The secretary general says to Wang, we've got to get out of here. And Wang is like, okay, okay, how? Like, what are you, how are you planning to get out of here? Kofi Annan is like, our only option is to leave the Trisolaran system and to fly out into the darkness. We have to find a safe galaxy that we can travel no. to. Staying here no. is death. I'm crying. I'm thinking of Oppie. I'm thinking of Oppie flying out into the abyss. It's at this moment, Wang hears a loud grinding sound, and he sees that the pendulum's weight is being pulled by a cable with the other end attached to a winch, so they're just like wrenching this thing up to its highest point. The cable releases, and the pendulum falls and swings in a silent, seamless arc. At first it fell really slowly, but then as it moved towards the center, it gained momentum, and then it changed its direction and went back up to the other side and slowed again before the process repeated itself, and this pendulum is just swinging back and forth. And watching the pendulum Wang notices that unlike an earthbound pendulum, this one is moving in a period that's not stable. And the timing of the swings changed from one swing to the next. It's not really dependable. Weird. And he's watching this and he's deducing that the gravitational interference from the giant moon is great enough to physically alter the motion of the pendulum on the ground of Trisolaris. Damn, so it's going like swoop, 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 swoop. Yep. That's so weird. Like, imagine yep. that. Like, live gravity manipulation just because of how big and how close this moon is to the planet Trisolaris. And looking up at this pendulum doing its thing, Wang's thinking to himself, what does this thing represent, really? Is this like a monument to the deep desire that we have for order? Or is it a representation of our surrender to chaos? So interesting. There's so much duality here. I'm not even sure I understand fully what it's a monument I was just to. thinking, like, in the context of the book, like, what does the pendulum symbolize? And at first I was thinking time and, like, kind of what we were even just talking about at the beginning, like, in terms of, like, how the pandemic, like, totally skewed our perception of time. We think of, you know, the grandfather clock, like, tick, talk TikTok, and like that being very consistent mm -hmm. and also like talking about like what a lucky period in time we are to be alive and like this pendulum it's almost like the memento mori the reminder yeah. that like we are very lucky to be existing during yeah. this particular shred of time and i hate to pose this question for you because wang doesn't arrive at an answer he's thinking about this and he's watching the pendulum swing back and forth and in front of his eyes a text appears for 451 years later, Civilization 192 was destroyed by the fiery flames of the twin suns appearing together. It had reached the Atomic Age and the Information Age. 192 was a milestone in Trisolaran civilization. It finally proved the three-body problem had no solution. 192 abandoned the efforts put forward by the 191 civilizations before them and charted a course for future civilizations. The end goal of the three-body problem has now changed. <gasps> Oh my god. My, no, I literally, my, my cheeks are like all goosebumpy. The new goal is head for the stars and find a new home. We invite you to log on again. No. So Wang logs out of the game. He's like, what the fuck did I just see? I've been working this whole time to solve this problem. I solved it. They ignored it and they got destroyed anyway. And now we've got to go somewhere else. Okay. Wow true change of plans and he's exhausted like every other time that he's logged out of the game before because i mean it's a full total body total mind immersion experience so he's like okay i'm gonna have a little snack take a little nap and about 30 minutes later wang logs in again okay. on the loading screen wang is greeted by a line of text against a pure black background the situation has become urgent the three body servers are about to be shut down log on freely during the time remaining Three Body will now take you directly to the final scene. And that is the end of the chapter. Oh my god, what? I've full body chills. But you don't think I'd make you wait another week to show you the final chapter of the Three Body I Problem mean, game. I don't know, Brad. Okay, so we're about to log back into the game to see the final scene. Go grab a yes. quick snack, stretch your legs, get comfy, because it's time to log back on. In the final chapter of part two. Allie. Right. 
Are you ready? I don't know, but I have no choice. Is your V-suit on? Zip. It's on. Log in. Chapter 20 is called Three-Body Expedition. When Wang finds himself back in the game, it is unlike anything he's seen lately. It's a cold morning at dawn, and the landscape in front of him is void. This time, there's no pyramid, no United Nations headquarters, no pendulum, no dehydratories. The planet has been wiped clean like it's a slate. The scene actually looks exactly like it does the very first time he logged on, if you remember way yes, back I when. Do. Except after some time passes, Wang realizes he's actually wrong about that. It doesn't look like when he first logged back on. What he originally thought were stones and boulders littering the ground in front of him turned out in actuality to be a surplus of human <gasps> heads. What? A surplus of Upon closer inspection, heads. yeah, I mean, like, heads in numbers where, like, he thought they were, like, the boulders of Joshua Tree the or fuck? something. And then he's looking closer, and he realized the ground is fully covered by a dense layer of humans packed extremely tightly in a sea of people. Wait, are they, like, like, okay, I have so many questions. <laughs> Standing on top of a small hill, Wang can tell by his best estimate. In his immediate view alone, there's probably hundreds of millions of people gathered here. And he's like, this is probably all of the Trisolarans on the planet. Like, what the fuck? What did I miss, basically? The planet is eerily quiet. A hundreds of millions of people level quiet that seems to add together in this deafening sound for Wang as he's standing here, confused. Suffocating is the way he describes it. Wang wonders to himself, like, what were these people here waiting for? Like, what did I miss? How long have I been gone? Why didn't the loading screen tell me about what was happening? Like, what's going on? Because he knows nothing. Wang looks up to the sky, like all the Trisolarans on the ground below him, and he sees that the sky has been transformed into something unimaginable. The stars have all been arranged in a square. Okay, what? This square, Wang notices, was in a synchronous orbit over the planet. So think like how a satellite orbits around Earth but is able to stay in the exact same place uh-huh. over the Earth. Like our GPS right. satellites, uh-huh. for example. All of them moving their square formation against the background of, wait for it, the Milky Way. Oh, shit. And Wang noticed the stars that were closest in the square formation to the dawn were the ones shining the brightest, glowing really bright silver and casting shadows on the people in the landscape down below. And as you got further away from the dawn light, the brightness of the stars dimmed. So there's a square formation of all the stars in the sky, also arranged by brightness. Okay. Nuts. In total, Wang counts 30 stars in this square's formation. What the fuck? And so this brought up for me, do you remember when we talked about the Kardashev scale? Yes, could never forget. I'm imagining that this civilization reached power levels so great that they were actually able to physically rearrange stars in their immediate night sky. Wild theory. Because, I mean, they've been leveling up steadily each time. they did harness the power of the atom. But this seems like a technological level up. Leap. Like, exponentially, infinitely greater than they've ever experienced before. So then back to the Trisolarans. Over this sea of hundreds of millions of Trisolarans that are gathered below, Wang notices on this little hill, he's not alone. And there's a man standing beside him. And the man kind of gives him an elbow and is like, great Copernicus, what took you so long, my dude? (laughs) Three whole cycles of civilization have come and gone since you were away. You've missed so many cool things. Like, he's like, where have you been, basically? we have fast-forwarded to the final scene. By a lot. And Wang is like, what is that? Pointing up to the star formation. And this man goes, oh, that's the Tri-Solaran Interstellar Fleet. It's about to set sail on its expedition. And Wang is like, oh my god, like, Trisolarans have already reached the point where they can travel the interstellar cosmos? The man's like, yeah, isn't it great? Like, each of these ships can reach a tenth the speed of light. Wow. And Wang's like, okay, yeah, like, cool, 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 but isn't that speed still too slow to travel interstellar distances? Because it is important to know that, like, all galaxies, all star systems, all planets, all these things are constantly moving too, so you would actually need, like, very near or the actual speed of light to be able to make any kind 
kind of meaningful distances. Right. A, to leave whatever galaxy you're in, but also to travel the distance and catch up to a galaxy that might be moving away from yours faster than yours is moving so on nuts. its own. I mean, so, I mean, it's a lot of speed required. And Wang's like a tenth the speed of light. Like, that's still not enough. And the man is like, eh. An entire journey starts with the first step. Am I right? <laughs> like, yeah, we know it's not perfect, but the only hurdle before this fleet is finding the right target. And Wang's like, yeah, I mean, true, I guess. Where are they going? And the man says, it's a star system with planets that's about four light years away. They've targeted the closest star to the Trisolaran system. Shonked. <laughs> Wang is like, hang on. The closest star to Earth is about four light years away. And the man is like, oh, that's not surprising. The way most regions of the Milky Way are distributed, most of the stars in the galaxy have a distance of about three to six light years between any of them. So like, eh, it's not surprising. That number shows up a lot. At this moment, a thunderous cheer erupts from the crowd down below. Wang turns his eyes up to the heavens to see the engines of the ships powering up and becoming brighter by the second. And when the light generated by the ship's engines combined, the fleet soon overtook the brightness of the dawn completely. Wow. We're the kids in America! Wow! We're the kids in America! In an instant, Trisolaris was illuminated, and a sea of arms and hands outstretched towards the sky, forming from the crowd below. The fleet of Trisolaran ships began to accelerate, skimming effortlessly past the tip of the giant moon, leaving this pale blue glow against it as they left their home system of Trisolaris. The cheers from the people below died down, and the people kept standing around like statues, just watching basically like their hope for a better life and a better future, just like slowly descending away against the background of the cosmos. The narrator says in their lives, none of them would know if the fleet was successful but that in about four or five hundred years, their descendants would hopefully have good news that Trisolarans had begun to make their home in a new star system. And watching the size of the formation, Wang finds himself, after coming down from this hill, standing in the crowd of these hundreds of millions of people. And they're all looking up at the sky, and they're watching the size of the formation just shrink until all that they could make out of this armada was a tiny speck of light, and then finally disappearing into the darkness of the night sky. A line of text appears, in Wang's field of vision. The Trisolaran expedition has begun. The fleet is still in flight. Three body is now over. When you return to the real world, if you remain true to the promise you made, please attend the upcoming meeting of the Earth Trisolaris organization. The address will be included in the follow-up email you're about to receive. And that, baby, is the end of part two. God, I have full body chills. But wait, there's more. Next week, we're beginning the last and final part of the three body problem. And it's called, drumroll please, Sunset for Humanity. Yikes. Oh, shit. So we give a little, we take a little. I couldn't just leave you with full hope for next week. That is wild. We're moving. It sounds like humanity is going to be moving into an assisted living center and then hospice, basically. Are you shonked? I'm shonked beyond belief. I totally forgot all of this. I mean, like, I vaguely remember when, like, at first I was like, what's the square of stars? Like, aren't we done? And then it's like, oh, yeah, it's the fucking expedition. (sighs) This was a beautiful, momentous, and epic episode 20 and a start to a new year, a new part. What a way to kick off 2023, right? With the sunset of humanity. To all our listeners out there, wherever you are in the world, happy new year and good night. Good night, Oppie. You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at Radar Peak Pod. See you there.